Hi, everybody. Welcome to Passing Judgment, a podcast about politics and the law and a lot of things in between. I'm your host, Loyal Law School professor Jessica Levinson. We are joined by the show's co-host, Joe Armstrong. And why is there a little bit of a smile in my voice right now? Because as it turns out, the person who won the 2020 election, in fact, will be the president on January 20th. 2021 on inauguration day president-elect biden will become president biden how do we know that now the lawsuits have really fizzled out the hardball uh, political pressure is really fizzling out and the gsa the general services administration has now decided to formally start the wheels turning for a transition we'll talk about what all of that means good afternoon mr armstrong Hello, Jessica. Knock, knock. Who's there? It's reality. It's finally caught up to the Trump administration, (laughs) finally caught up to what those those people have been up to. But now the thing is, they're still kind of talking out of both sides of their mouth. We'll get to that in a little bit. But let's update everyone on what's gone on in case people haven't paid attention elsewhere. So the General Services Administration told President-elect Joe Biden today that he will, as you said, be President-elect Joe Biden. Thank you for that, Trump people. This is stuff that normally goes on behind the scenes. The election gets called and we move forward from there. So let's bring you up to date. Emily Murphy, she's the administrator of the General Services Administration, finally today sent a letter to the Biden campaign. And it read as follows. This is selected quotes from it. As administrator of the U.S. General Services Administration, I have the ability under the Presidential Transition Act of 1963, as amended, to make certain post-election resources and services available to assist in the event of a presidential transition. I take this role seriously, and because of recent developments involving legal challenges and certification of election results, I am transmitting this letter today to make those resources and services available to you. Now, she said in this letter, Murphy said that she came to these uh, came to this decision independently and again, quote, was never directly or indirectly pressured by any executive branch official. You can decide for yourself whether or not there is truth in that. I can't read the tea leaves. I'm not sure myself. She also noted, and this is somewhat strange, I think, she noted in the letter specifically stated that she and her family and even her pet received threats in that. I don't know why that belongs there. That seems kind of odd to me. So the question I have to ask, Jessica, the Trump administration has been talking out of both sides of their mouth for four years. Why should we take this letter at face value? And in asking that question, isn't that part of the whole problem? Because that's something the Trump administration has been doing all along. The intentional eroding of trust in our processes and in our institutions. What is your take on this, Jessica? Is this something we've been watching this whole thing take place for years now? Yeah, so much there. I mean, first, with respect to the letter, let's just take a step back and say it's so unusual that we would even hear from the General Services Administration. And really, this is supposed to be pro forma. It's supposed to be a rubber stamp that who whoever is in that position says, I've ascertained that this is the person who won the election, and therefore, I'm opening up money and information. And that's what really matters here, is that there's about I think $7 million that's opened up to the Biden-Harris transition team. They can start hiring people. They can start doing conflict of interest checks. And perhaps most importantly, in the middle of a pandemic, they can start getting briefed on information. They can start talking to other agencies. And we're going to talk about what the Biden-Harris transition team said in response, but it's clear that they are chomping at the bit. And it is also clear that 
you know, at a certain point, this really does become a national security concern if the people who are going to take over on January 20th don't have full access to information. You know, so you asked me about the letter and why Miss Murphy talked about the threats to her. I feel like the letter was very defensive. And so I think part of it was to say, I believed in my position so much that I was willing to withstand this type of treatment. And nobody should receive death threats. I know that, Joe, you and I agree on this. Nobody should be in that position. And having said that, I absolutely believe that she abused her position and that she acted to thwart the public trust. Now, and then you ask the bigger question, which is kind of how do we believe the Trump administration? And I think that's really the whole point of so much of this, right? Who are you supposed to believe? Can you believe anyone? And we don't actually have to believe the Trump administration. As long as the GSA says, Biden-Harris, here are your transition funds, here is your access to information. And of course, President Trump never has to concede. And I doubt that he will, because a concession has as much effect as a claim of victory, you know, meaning absolutely not at all. So, Joe, with so many things, I just hope that this is an aberration. I hope that in four years, you and I aren't talking about the fact that history is repeating and whoever holds this position in the GSA is holding uh, the funds when it's clear who won the election. Yeah. Speaking only for myself, Jessica, I like boring politics. We have an entertainment industry, a billion dollar industry set up specifically to keep us entertained. So we're not just sitting staring at each other at night when it gets dark, dark this time of year, dark very early this time of year, Jessica. So there's something for us to watch on the TV. There are movies when we can eventually get back to going to movie theaters. There are things for us to watch. We don't need our politics to be an entertainment industry as well. I'm looking forward to getting past that. We've seen a lot of sausage making. And I feel like if the metaphor of a war were to fall into our laps, we've been fighting and clawing for every square inch of territory these last five years. And I'm looking forward to perhaps having the wheels of our government move at least a little more smoothly. Now, the Biden transition team, they released a statement in response to the GSA announcement today, the letter today, saying that uh, the GSA announcement was, quote, a needed step to begin tackling the challenges facing our nation, including getting the pandemic under control and our economy back on track. And they went on to say, in the days ahead, transition officials will begin meeting with federal officials to discuss the pandemic response, have a full accounting of our national security interests, and gain complete understanding of the Trump administration's effort to hollow out government agencies. And that's a little bit of shade thrown by the Biden administration at the end of that, don't you think, Jessica? Oh, my gosh, more than a little bit of shade. I mean, that's, well, you talked about darkness. And should we just take a moment to share with our listeners how much we both separately really despise standard time and how we're I'm literally counting down the days on the calendar until it's daylight saving time because I actually enjoy not having seasonal effect disorder call me crazy but yeah sunshine there are many reasons I moved to California Jessica and all the the sunshine I guess it there's not more sunshine here it's not how that works but when I'm sitting in traffic in Los Angeles the weather's nice I've got the windows down even though it's dark yeah um so now, while I Google light lamps for the next few months, you asked me about the little bit of shade that was thrown by the Biden-Harris team. And look, again, let's think about a transition team using the phrase, and the Trump administration's efforts to hollow out government agencies. 
this is really, as the kids would say, perhaps this is epic. And it shows that they're frustrated. I do think that they made the right calculation in not suing the GSA, because I think by the time a lawsuit kind of wound its way through the system, if it was even going to be successful, because federal law does seem to give the Aaron Murphy, whoever holds that position, a good deal of discretion, it was better to just let the Trump administration fail and flail. And I think it took the same amount of time, and they didn't have to take that more aggressive position. They didn't have to go into court. So I do think that they made the right the right calculation there. Yeah, I commend the Biden administration, regardless of party affiliation, regardless of for whom I voted. They've played this pretty smart, and I will go all the way back through the entire uh, the primary season. Biden was not the favorite at one point. Every election cycle kind of moves around to the different people who are the candidate of the hour during that time during the season. But then, as the I think as the um, as the pandemic raged, the calm voice in the room, the boring old guy, looked more and more attractive as we went through that. He came victorious in the primary season, went on to the general election. And as the pandemic raged, even though a lot of uh, a lot of people on the right criticized him for, quote, staying in his basement is the phrase they were throwing around a lot. He stayed out of the limelight. He did what you're supposed to do when you're a challenging an incumbent president, which is not try to govern even during a pandemic and give them their opportunity to do so and campaign. And he campaigned in a smart way, in an efficient way, in a quiet way, which is kind of a strange thing to say about any election season. But that's kind of how it played out. And now, you know, it seems that he won just over three weeks ago. And here we are watching this whole thing play out since the beginning of November. It's been interesting, to say the least. It's been bloody at times. But I'm glad it's over. I want to get back. I'm tired of sausage making, Jessica. I want to get back to calm, simple things in terms of our governance. Are you so, going to become a vegetarian by the end of this? I feel like you keep talking about <laughs> sausage making. Yeah, I understand. I mean, look, we have a podcast about politics, and so we don't want it to be super boring. But um, you don't want to say every day unprecedented. You don't want to say every day threat to our system of democracy. You don't want to say every day could upend our, you know, our entire faith in our country, poses an existential threat to our structure of government. These are the things that I think that we would like to avoid. And of course, um, you know, President Trump's tweet, as long as he's tweeting as president, it's hard to totally avoid that. I know you have his last tweet from just a few moments ago. Yeah, in terms of sausage making, Jessica, I will leave uh, one more bit of sausage making here. In terms of our own personal sausage making, we were about to talk about a slightly different topic on today's episode. And while you and I were having our little pre-production meeting over the phone, this tweet popped up and the letter was released and everything changed. And we had to turn the aircraft carrier around as quickly as we could to do this and deliver this to you. So this is what Trump tweeted at about 6.20 p.m. Eastern Standard Time today, which is Monday. He said... I want to thank Emily Murphy at GSA for her steadfast dedication and loyalty to our country. Capitalized C there. (laughs) Worthy of note. She has been harassed, threatened, and abused. And I do not want to see this happen to her, her family, or employees of GSA. Now, I agree with Donald Trump on that. Our case strongly, all caps, continues. We will keep up the good fight. 
and I believe we will prevail, exclamation point. Nevertheless, in the best interest of our country, capitalized again, I am recommending that Emily and her team do what needs to be done with regard to initial protocols, and I have told my team to do the same. Now, Jessica, does that sound like something that Donald Trump would write? There are elements of Trumpiness in there, the all caps, the strange words capitalized. Does that sound like something that he would write? It's the nevertheless that really did it for me. Nevertheless, in the best interests of our country, I think that somebody else has access to the presidential Twitter account (laughs) is all I can say there. And let's talk about what changed. So it looked like things were just going to kind of fizzle or circle the drain. And then I think the big sea change is, frankly, something that happened over the weekend in uh, one of the lawsuits. So let's remember where we are. At the time that we're recording this episode, President Trump has won one, I would say, not particularly significant lawsuit. He has lost 35 lawsuits varying in degrees from not that significant to very significant. And I think one of the biggest body blows for the Trump legal team actually happened over the weekend where a conservative federal judge in a case coming from Pennsylvania essentially looked at President Trump's legal claims and he, you know, first he pulled a tractor over them and then for good measure he took a van, rode over them, and then just to make sure he took a moped. I mean, it's rare that you see a federal judge rebuke plaintiff's claim in this fashion. He talked about uh, the Trump administration's claims being a Frankenstein's monster. And he did something that I think was really quite good, which is he started and said, first off, I just want to tell you, you have no basis for these legal claims. And then he went claim by claim. And he said, you know, first, anybody who claims they have standing in this case, they don't, meaning you don't even belong in federal court. And then he said, but let's pretend that you do belong in federal court. Let's pretend there is standing. And now let's look to the actual claim here, which was an equal protection claim. And specifically, the claim was based on uh, local elections boards that were allowing voters uh, notice of defects in their vote-by-mail ballots and allowing them to cure those defects. And the Trump legal team said, because other county boards didn't provide that same notice to cure that other voters weren't treated equally and there was an equal protection violation. Essentially, everybody who's looked at this thinks that it it holds no water. And so the judge then went through those claims. And then, and this is where you just know exactly how the judge feels, the judge says, I'm dismissing this case with prejudice, meaning don't come back into this courtroom, don't try and file on other ground, on similar grounds, excuse me. And then he says, and you don't have leave to amend the complaint, meaning I know what you would say. I know that you would try and add certain facts. I know that you would try and add this, that, no way. And he explained why you would say you have no leave to amend. I think for people who are listening, those two things are pretty rare. Typically, you would say, we'll dismiss, but without prejudice, meaning if you want to come back and you find something else, then you can file on the same grounds. Or sure, you can amend your complaint, you know, no harm, no foul, take another look. And it just shows you how, I think, frankly, the lawyers in this case were close to being sanctioned. It was such a a frivolous suit. And then 22 hours later, the Trump team appealed this decision to the Third Circuit. We can talk about what that appeal was, but I don't think it's going anywhere. 
Oh my goodness. Again, more sausage making. These are things that like most of us civilians don't ever have to see these things. And, you know, you were saying uh, with prejudice, and I was just thinking it sounds like the title, uh, you know, with extreme prejudice is a phrase that we hear in terms of action movies with extreme prejudice. But it wasn't extreme, but it was with prejudice. So he gave him a smackdown. Now, this judge was a Republican judge, is it not? Yeah, a member of the Federal Society, I believe, appointed by President Obama, but this is not a liberal jurist here. And one thing that's important to think about when we talk about all these post-election legal challenges, and we talk about that ratio of one win for the Trump legal team and 35 losses, the judiciary really has held. I mean, state court judges, federal judges, they've really done their job regardless of their personal partisan affiliation. And I know that's going to sound like I'm making a political statement or a partisan statement, at least, saying, well, because President Trump is losing, things are working. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying because somebody who's going into court with frivolous claims is losing, the system is working. And, you know, Joe, you and I have talked a lot about the idea that the guardrails kind of worked in varying degrees during the Trump administration. In this case, the judiciary is acting as a guardrail. They really are uh, serving their purpose. The judges are serving their purpose. And, you know, in the face of, frankly, a Republican establishment that just said, eh, we know these lawsuits aren't going anywhere. Let's just, I think, let's just let President Trump kind of run out the clock. And where did we see, I think, a sea change with Republicans? It really was after that Saturday decision where we saw more and more people kind of coming out of the woodwork and saying, okay, I think we know where this is going. You know, the case, as we said, has been appealed to the Third Circuit. I don't see this being a particularly successful appeal. They basically said, oh, yeah, we dropped some allegations by mistake, and they're trying to bring back uh, an injunction motion to not certify the results. Uh, but not to get too much into the weeds, it, they're not quite asking for what the Third Circuit can give. And, um, you know, people are asking, is a case going to go to the Supreme Court? And I mean, I just tweeted, you know, the Supreme Court wants this case as much as I want to take part in the polar bear plunge, meaning like not at all. I mean, the Supreme Court is so excited, I think, to have no involvement in these post-litigation, post-election litigation cases. Now, that's not the only thing that happened today, Jessica. There was some other movement from other states. Michigan certified their results today. And an important thing to keep track of here, uh, there was a four-person board. Am I thinking of that correctly? Four-member board. Yes. Uh, there were two Democrats, two Republicans. Both the Democrats voted to certify. One of the Republicans voted to certify the election results. And the other Republican, Norman Schinkel, I believe, abstained. Is there anything to add to that, Jessica? Like, does that even matter what's happening in Michigan? Michigan with the, uh, I mean, Trump said in his, in his tweet, we will win, we're going to prevail. <laughs> What's happening? Does Michigan even matter at this point? Well, sure, it matters because they did what they're legally obligated to do. So it's interesting because, oh my gosh, you know, time is so elastic, but maybe even four days ago, let's say, I was getting some very real questions about what happens if Michigan won't certify. And the the tree, basically, the forks in the road, I should say, basically go this way. You know, if Michigan won't certify, then will the Republican-controlled legislature say, you know what, 
we're just going to go ahead and send the Trump-Pence slate of electors to the Electoral College, at which point the Democratic governor would say, no, I, I don't think you will. One, that's against state law. Under state law, we don't envision any role for the state legislatures. And two, I'm looking at the popular vote in Michigan, and I'm going to certify, I'm going to send the Biden-Harris slate, at which point you have two competing slates being sent to the Electoral College. And this is where we're in uncharted territories. Congress can say, you know what, we're not counting Michigan, period. Or Congress can try and act like a judge and determine which slate to accept. The bottom line is we're not going to have that particular fever dream this time around. But it is amazing, actually, how serious those discussions were. President Trump, of course, meeting with Republican lawmakers from Michigan. I think appearances could be that he's trying to lean on them uh, to engage in just that type of tactic. So it, Michigan matters. It matters that they follow the rules and that they certified. And I think this process is just going to be, a, we're going to have more of these little bumps until about December 8th. And that's the federal safe harbor deadline by which states need to figure out all of their, let's say, electoral college potential kerfuffles. And then if they certify by that time, then Congress has to accept the slate that they send. And Jessica, that's your boy band name, Potential Kerfuffles. We have, <laughs> we have a couple other states that, you know, were kind of in play. You know, as, as you were saying, over the course of the weekend, as you were getting those serious questions about what was going on, Wisconsin, there was talk of a, of a recount, but only in certain counties. I didn't even know that was something that was possible. Yeah, this is really an ironic one. And if, you know, if we weren't dealing with the fate of democracy, it would be almost funny. So... President Trump is not just asking to have a recount, but what he's asking for is that Trump's lawyers are looking at the state's two most heavily Democratic counties, Dane and Milwaukee. And the argument is that a bunch of vote-by-mail ballots should actually just be junked. They should be thrown out if they were cast before Election Day in person. The irony here is that the reports are that the Trump lawyer making this argument and his wife both voted this way, and meaning they voted by mail, but they brought the vote by mail ballot in person before Election Day. Um, This, again, is not a legal theory that I think is going to carry the day. And, you know, same thing. I think we're just going to see these suits kind of fizzle out, and we're just going to have to live through it because members of the GOP aren't saying enough stop this. And, you know, query as to whether that would make a difference. Now, Jessica, there is one more potential asterisk here, which is the state of Georgia having already been called for Biden and the electoral votes will go to him. The Biden campaign has asked for yet another recount, making it a total of three counts once they complete this one. But I don't see that moving the needle. Do you? I don't. As we talked about before, recounts very, very rarely change the outcome. And we've already had a recount in this case. And the election administration officials and the people who did the counting really did an extraordinary job. I've said it before and I'll say it again. I think that what we have here are bad political arguments dressed up like legal filings. And that's why really they're not being successful. So where do we end? We end where we began, which is I fully expect that the person who actually won the election, not just the national popular vote, but also the Electoral College, will be the person who becomes president. 
I expect we have an enormous amount to talk about as we live through the transition and the beginning of a Biden administration. And it's Thanksgiving week. So, uh, Joe, I'm very thankful that I get to talk about all this with you. And I know that we have another Thanksgiving episode uh, coming up later this week, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. Absolutely, we will, Jessica. Now, norm breaking has been the theme of the day for the past five years since since Donald Trump came down that escalator. Norm breaking has been the big thing. Perhaps this is as far as this glacier goes, Jessica. Perhaps downstream is an end of this norm breaking. For me personally, please, 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 that is something for which I would be extremely thankful for this year, this election season, this Thanksgiving season. So we will talk to you later this week. Thank you for listening, everybody. Take care, everybody.